0: So today we have John Bishop, who's a close friend and um, a vet of the Vietnam War. And a couple weeks ago, he called me and said, You know, where are all the liberals uh, worrying about all the women and children that were going to be harmed being left behind in Afghanistan? And so we invited John to come on to give us some historical perspective because he was um, in the Navy, he was a Marine. Uh, and he uh, actually knows what it feels like when you leave a place like Vietnam and can give us some historical perspective about what this travesty means for the people that are left behind in Afghanistan. John, you want to jump in here and you can give any more you know background to the audience that you want to?
1: Well, I can remember pretty vividly the boat people coming out of Vietnam trying to escape communism when they took over Saigon. And uh, it was horrible. I mean, it was just absolutely horrible. And the re-education camps that the North Vietnamese established were terrible. And history has not probably properly recorded what happened in those. Um, and the thing that I, the reason I called you is there's the National Organization of Women, uh, there's all these feminist movements, all these left what you know liberal left-wing concerns about women on the pro-abortion that sort of thing and they're utterly silent about what's happening to women in Afghanistan and I think it's it's hypocrisy on a level we've never seen before.
2: You and I must have been thinking on the same wavelength because I wrote an article yesterday or the day before saying that American feminism doesn't intersect with Women in Afghanistan, which is their buzzword for, you know, the oppressed peoples. Obviously, they don't see these girls and women as oppressed at all, or they don't want to admit it, one of the two.
1: Well, I think they just don't want to admit it. It's just that that's the that's the tragedy of hypocrisy. And at least like the women in Afghanistan. And, and we had we had people there teaching women how to read and write, getting educated teaching them leadership principles, teaching them, you know, things that are valuable to women. And those women will be either killed or purged as the Sharia law gets established because Sharia law can't stand that type of intellectual capacity in women. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And kids, they're being trafficked already. So I I think there's a lot of blood on the hands of this leadership other than just the 13 the twelve, the eleven Marines, one sailor, one soldier that was killed in that suicide bomb. Mm-hmm.
0: John, today we've spoken to uh, about five or six people that um, we know that are involved with the independent evacuations from Afghanistan, and heard some horrendous stories about, you know, their efforts. Whether it's they, they have the toys to move people, but they don't have the people on the ground to get them to the planes. Or the State Department has not allowed um, planes that are in airports and countries in the in the region to uh, have permission to land in other countries. So we've asked some of them. You know, where where does the the buck really stop? I mean, President Biden has said the buck stops with him, but then when we ask, you know, where where is it in terms of DoD? Where is it in terms of State Department, USAID? We don't yet know who are the people in the room that decided this? But from the military doctrine and having seen what happened in Vietnam, can you give us your perspective on where the responsibility should lay as this moves forward? And hopefully, you know, there are some congressional hearings.
1: Well, the first thought that comes to mind, Christine, is that when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy, I was taught, uh, more was drummed into me, that the captain of the ship is responsible for everything the ship does or fails to do. And on January 20th of this year, Biden became captain of the ship. And so he's responsible and he's responsible for the people he's selected to be the secretary of defense and the secretary of state and give, at least be, be in those positions of leadership. And so the, the buck stops with Biden, but the problem I think is Biden is intellectually handicapped because of you know aging, mm-hmm. Uh, mental, you know, uh, just, just he's aging and, and he's not thinking correctly. And uh, so there's other people behind the scenes that are pulling the strings on this thing. And uh, we don't know who they are.
0: What's your reaction to, um, I guess, Tony Blinken's statement this past week. You get a chance to see that?
1: No, I didn't see that.
0: Okay. Um, But you have heard about the, the this, Biden, President Biden blaming the Afghan army for not coming. Well, I, I
1: did. I, I have heard that. But um, I, I just I get, I get pretty emotional about this thing. But blaming someone else is one of the glaring acts of immaturity. It, it, it just communicates beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a very immature person when they blame other people. And that's the problem with what we've got going on in this leadership, it's, it's very, very immature. And I don't know, uh, I mean, I, I don't pay attention to a lot of the news stuff because it, frankly, I don't know who to believe anymore. Yeah. That um, what I was, I've been told by uh, some friends that um, this evacuation and stuff was really being controlled by the State Department, not by the Department of Defense. And that's backwards. Whenever troops are deployed, I don't know. I don't know any place in history where the State Department l- led the parade on something like that. It was always, always the guys responsible for, you know, having live ammunition and carrying out the policy. And this thing, this thing has just been unbelievably misled by whoever's trying to, whoever has the authority to call the shots. Yeah.
0: Well, it reminds me of Benghazi. Because that was State Department led.
1: Well, that was State Department led because it was a State Department situation and they refused to let the Department of Defense come in and, and solve the problem. Right. It was terrible.
0: Right. So <clears throat> what are you hearing in, uh, in the ha- halls of D.C. among you know, people that you and I know that are up there on both sides of the aisle and former members of Congress as well in terms of their reaction to this?
1: Well, the the things that I'm hearing is, particularly on the Republican side, is just, I mean, they're just, it's horrible, and they 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 see what's going on and they recognize how terrible it really is within the within the Congress itself. People who really have no clue of what what this is going to mean to the country in the future. I haven't really talked to anybody on the Democratic side of the aisle, but. Um, I have a hard time believing there are 270 members of the House that none of them have a conscience or have any character. And that's what needs to be called forth. This is a time for character, a conscience. This is time for doing what's right, not what's politically correct. And well so far said. that hasn't happened.
2: Well said, yes.
0: You know, John, you and I have talked through the years about um, the spiritual warfare that that, that you present. And you, you say it so you know eloquently. Talk to the audience about that, about the good and the evil, the spiritual warfare, because you've spoken before groups about that and also uh, um, to friends of yours who were in the military.
1: Well, that's been a um, part of my journey. Uh, My first 12 years, um, like I said earlier, I came to faith when I was an enlisted guy going through boot camp. And the nearly 12 years that followed was intense years of learning about war at the Naval Academy, training for war in the Marine Corps, and going to war in Vietnam. And the officers that were at the Naval Academy when I came in in 1961 that ran that place were World War II or Korea veterans. They had ribbons, you know, all the way over their shoulders. They knew what kind of officer that place had to produce in case the Cold War became a hot war. And so what they put us through in preparation was they were deadly serious about what we what we had to go through to, to prepare us to be the kind of leaders that a hot war would need. I was at the academy when the Cuban Missile Crisis erupted, and we literally thought we were going to war, and one of our classes would graduate early, just like in 1942 when Pearl Harbor was bombed. The class was immediately graduated and went out to the fleet. Um, it was serious. It was really serious business. And so I my orientation to my spiritual life and my physical life uh, was dominated by this this reality of warfare. And as I've grown and over the years, I see the parallel between physical war and spiritual war. They're, the principles are absolutely the same. Um, one of those, divide and conquer, always works. And uh, the devil expands his kingdom by dividing ours. And that's one of the huge issues that I think we've got going on in this country right now is the division and not... Most people simply, in my opinion, don't have the maturity to realize they're playing in to the hands of the devil when they perpetuate or promote or in any way facilitate division. Um, deception is another principle. It always works. And we're dealing right now, more and more I talk to people, we don't know who to believe. We don't know who's telling the truth. CNN or MSNBC or Fox, you, you just really don't know. None of them. Well, and that's how that's what I conclude I gave my te- gave my television away about you know several years ago because I thought I just don't I just don't want to be influenced by that's you why I,
2: that's why we started CDM just because we need an alternative but go ahead so that's
1: uh, I, w- w- This spiritual warfare is, is real and uh, it's the march of evil and that and the drumbeat of evil is getting louder and people are not paying attention to it and we're going to see Well, I think, I forgot who told me. You may have been the one. Somebody told me when I was on a conversation that AT&T is shutting down access to the internet in Afghanistan, either effective last midnight or tonight, they're shutting it down. So the people that are, like you talked about, going in and trying to help people get out, I'm not gonna have a system to communicate with the people trying to, inside the country because their cell phones aren't gonna work anymore. that's a that's from pressure from the white house
2: yeah
1: Uh, because they don't want people in the world to know about the beheadings and the rapes and the killings and the stuff that the taliban will do to establish sharia law and and it's going to it's going to be evil at a a level this these two last two or three generations have never seen Uh, the world war ii generation saw it through the Holocaust but the recent generations have not seen the kind of evil that's going to take place in Afghanistan.
2: John, you you made a comment um, about the Naval Academy and training. Uh, We've got a group of several thousand former service Academy grads who are really concerned about the fourth class system that's been destroyed at all the academies. And it's, you know, the the purpose of it was to, I think the wording was to instill in the cadets a, a, an ability to withstand any kind of pressure. I mean, that's gone. So now you have flight instructors in the Air Force telling me they don't want academy grads because they have no ability to handle pressure in the airplane. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do we get this back? I mean, other than getting rid of this regime and installing new leadership, I mean, I'm of the fact we need to send a cadre into these academies, the people of your age, and teach them how to do it.
1: Well, I have heard similar things in the, in terms of the the. Uh, the ships and the, the, the fleet are Having a difficult time with naval academy grads because they don't know how to function aboard ship mm-hmm. uh, same basically the same ideas and uh, I'm I'm an old guy. So I've
2: mm-hmm.
1: I kind of have an old perspective But I, I and I can remember being on patrol in Vietnam one time when we had a French news team that included a woman in that news team and I can mm-hmm. remember the Marines within eyesight had one eye on her and one eye on the mission. It And, it would, and for that part of it, that part of the mission was compromised because men are just wired as protectors. Sure. And so to have women in tactical combat situations, I think just does, it's not going to work. Yeah. I, don't, I think the same thing is happening aboard ship. I mean, I can't imagine being a woman, you know, with a hundred and some other guys in submerged for two months on a nuclear submarine and thinking somehow that's going to work. Yeah. Uh, but until that, uh, uh, I, I think really, to be very frank, until we have a really big shooting war and, Maybe. and sort of purge this because we realize it doesn't work. I'm not sure it can be turned around. Hmm.
2: Interesting point.
0: Do you think it's a hopeless situation at this point, John?
1: no i don't think it's i don't think it's hopeless but um if you go back to the world war ii generation the the you know the make america great again generation those people were a generation that suffered they'd been through the depression that many had been through world war one uh they were through world war Two, and they had a perspective on life because it, it, it had come out of the crucible of suffering We've got three generations: the boomers, the boomer kids, the boomer grandkids, who basically can't even spell suffering. They don't know what it is. It's, they're entitled. They're, you know, we've got all these things to make people equal. I'm not thinking about the race issue. I'm thinking about kids. You know, not they get want to get rid of the grading system because kids get A's and some kids get D's, and it makes the kid who gets D's feel bad. Well, maybe that's because the kid that gets the D doesn't work. Um, And it's that kind of thinking that's so detrimental to life because that's not life. Life doesn't work that way. And that's where I think the big part of the problem is. And until we can solve that, I'm not sure we can solve some of the other problems.
0: I remember the first time I ever heard about that when kids would play softball games about 15 years ago and nobody lost. Right. And I used to think to myself, isn't that crazy? Or everybody would get every kid would get it, would get a trophy. Uh, as if there was no competition. They didn't learn the value of competition right? or, or teamwork either.
1: Right. Or oh, the struggle, the, the benefits of struggling, the, the benefits of working hard, the benefits of discipline. Those those have, uh, have, they have what's been purged out of our culture.
0: How do you feel about the, uh, the censorship that's going on?
1: Well, I can remember... Um, Uh, I'm having a senior moment on the name. Uh, He ran for president and uh, Stockdale was his vice president. He owns EDS.
0: Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Ross Perot ran for president. Ross Perot said then
1: that if this stuff becomes electronic, because he was with the big electronics company, he said there'll be no way that you can keep corruption out of the system. (laughs) And that's what we're dealing with. Whether it's the voting system or all this other stuff that's exactly what you've got. You're going to have the, the the corruption is going to dominate it.
0: Do you, do you think that, that uh, this Afghanistan um, evacuation for lack of a better term is going to wake people up on Capitol Hill?
1: I think it's going to wake up some of them. I'm not sure it's going to wake up enough of them. Like I said earlier, I, I have a hard time believing that there's 217 men and women on the democratic side of the house. That have no conscience or no or no character, and if if they had a conscience, if they had a character, they would either they first of all they would voice it, they would stand against what's happening up there, and frankly, if if they had the character that's needed, I think they'd switch parties and give the Republicans the majority and impeach the president. He's not fit to be in office. He's mentally. Uh, just mentally not capable of being the president.
0: Do you think that they're abdicating their responsibility by not calling out the administration and holding them accountable for what happened in Afghanistan?
1: Absolutely. I personally believe that one of the things that uh, somebody ought to try to do this is every veteran took an oath of office to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic and the political system, now this is both sides, Mm -hmm. has become a domestic enemy to this country. And I think we need to get men and women elected to office who have raised their right hand to support the constitution and to defend it, who put their lives or who have colleagues who put their lives and their names are buried or they're buried down here in Arlington Cemetery and get men and women like that in office to get control of the government the way it should be controlled, which is starts with the House of Representatives. That's the people's house. And the administration and the Senate should should pick up their guidance from them.
0: Do you think do you think that um I mean have you seen anything change in, in, in DC in the last three weeks in, in terms of this Afghanistan fiasco? Is the conversation, the timber of the conversation changed?
1: Not that I can tell of there's too much silence. It's, it's not what's being said, it's what's not being said. The, the people who know what's going on need to be speaking out about this, and they're not doing it.
0: What do you think the fear is? Because usually it's when people don't speak out, it's because they're afraid of, the, you know, of taking that first step.
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with either they have been told, if you speak out, we'll withdraw your funding,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you, you, it, it winds up, and I think in a lot of cases, being a money issue. Uh, I think some of these congressmen feel like it, it's it's better to stay in office and ha- think they have some kind of influence by being in Congress rather than speaking out and getting thrown out. But I think that's backwards. I think the people that would speak out now would be the ones that would have the safest seats Come come 2022. I don't think the American public generally speaking, is as, I don't know, disengaged or disconnected from reality as the leadership here in Washington. These men and women right now need to be ashamed of themselves. Silence is agreement. Silence is assent. And what's going on, I mean, for example, leaving Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night, I can't imagine the stupidity that motivated that decision. But that—that is one of the most stupid decisions that any human being could possibly make.
2: I've said this to several of our people today. We interviewed. Do you think it was stupidity or intentional?
1: Well, I think it was a a lot of was stupidity. You know, that didn't want the press. They didn't want the visibility. But I also think there was an intentionality to it. Not destroying the equipment. Not systematically withdrawing, including our equipment, including the things that were there. That's a horrible decision. Or horrible lack of a right decision
2: I, I mean i don't know how you can be that incompetent i think if you if you if you change the frame of view that we're yeah. trying to destroy the u.s credibility give our enemies equipment give them intelligence and you know bring terrorists to the united states i think it all makes a hell of a lot of sense
1: well it does and can um, you can you imagine what a wife or a parent is going to feel like when they find out that their son or daughter was killed by a bullet that we left behind. Mm-hmm. Our bullet killed our own people.
2: or a man pad that takes out a jetliner. I mean, just do you know carry it forward.
1: yep
0: well, there were discussions about um after the military after our military pulled out that if you had any, Uh, the charter flights that went into Kabul, perhaps on their way out, they would never make it out of the Afghan airspace because of the quote unquote ammunition we left behind.
1: Well, I understand from one news article that one of the airplanes did get ground fire, and they were able to get out of it, but they, they, they were actually shot at as they left the Kabul airport.
0: This, I, I think there's there's a lot to be said that you know the story's not over. Um, we don't know exactly how it's going to end, but it doesn't have the recipe and the uh, the ingredients of a recipe to end up being a safe story by the end of it. Um, what yes. about your 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 contacts overseas, John? Your foreign contacts. I mean, you're very close to a lot of a lot of people overseas. What are you hearing? Are, are they thinking what is going on with America?
1: Well. I would s- probably say bewilderment would probably be the best word of what's going on over here. Um, people who have understood and experienced socialism, trying to comprehend us, beginning to embrace that over here, it, it it bewilders them. They don't. They just can't comprehend it. And we've lost, based on the conversations that I'm aware of we have lost an enormous amount of credibility. We're, we're not the America that people looked up to for decades, you know, through history.
0: Is it because of how we responded to uh, the demonstrations last year, the the election? Is it because of the COVID response? Or is, I mean, is, is it just the bigger picture of where the US is a mess?
1: I think it's all of those. I think it's collectively all of those that, that people realize this country for a couple, at least a couple of administrations, has not had good leadership. And it's it's been reflected overseas. Those people are a lot, you know, one of the things that I, I really think we need as a nation to give serious consideration to the fact is that uh, humility is a is a great quality to have uh, you know Jim Collins in his book identified those level five leaders consistent right. level five leader was this idea of humility uh, I think since the end of World War II, when we were the world's power we had the nuclear bomb Russia didn't get it till 1948 uh, our factories were full production. Um, I think a level of arrogance, seeds of arrogance were sown back then that we are the greatest. And you know, I remember these things, you know, that's the phrase, that we, you know, the greatest. Um, and I think we've lost the humility that it makes us truly great. And I think we've got to re revisit the issue of what it means to have a humility in our leadership because I haven't seen it for quite a while.
0: You know, my, my dad was um, born in 1920, and he told me that during World War II, because he was part of the, the greatest generation, he said that, you know, every, two, and he was raised Catholic, but I think it was every Wednesday night or Tuesday, Thursday nights in the cathedrals, and um, people would say the rosaries, you know, for the people overseas. Where's the church leadership and what what's going on now with this cancer culture?
1: It's absent. It's missing. Uh, it's... It, um I, mean, I can get on a I get on my soapbox pretty quick about the church. Uh, Jesus said that he is going to build the church, not a building, but a, an ecclesia is the Greek word, which means a people, a group and and he, and, the, and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Um, and then the apostle John, I think gives us his understanding of that statement of Jesus when he says, in First John 3, eight, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I think the church is to be the leading, uh, leading the parade, so to speak, when it comes in this conflict between good and evil. And the church across the board has basically abdicated that. Uh, seeker-friendly, uh, inclusiveness, all these things play into the hands of evil. They don't fight against it.
2: It's been infiltrated.
1: Or it's been infiltrated, but the other part of it and this is not just my opinion, but uh, I, I believe the church is primarily based on what Jesus said is an instrument of warfare. It's to be combating this, engaging in this battle against uh, evil. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, I, I was in the war, in the Vietnam War, and I know many, many, many men got their call to the ministry as a noble way to dodge a call to the draft. Mm-hmm. And so they went into seminaries and Bible schools and churches and, and got died. They went to Canada, and this sort of thing. And the, so the church for the last five decades has basically been men who temperamentally are not warriors. And mm-hmm. so we've got we've got the wrong leadership in the church. I think candidly, Christine, I could I think I could change the country. Rightly change it. If you let me put two, three, four thousand Rangers, SEALs, Marines, special ops in the pulpits of this country. Men who know what the truth is and men who are not afraid to take the fight to the enemy. Uh,
0: to That's what we experienced today with these guys who stepped up to the plate. And many of them I know because I, I worked with them, you know, during the Benghazi attack. Um, but it is these guys just they're doing it because it's the right thing. They, one, we heard one story today. Um, A mate of ours just told us that uh, he had a Delta friend who just, you know, put uh, put a Russian plane that he chartered on his American Express card because he can't pay for it. But, you know, he knows that everybody's going to step up to the plate afterwards. And, you know, he was able to move some of the Afghani refugees out of Afghanistan. Right frankly. And these guys are moving ahead, even though there may be multiple groups. Some of them have money, some of them don't have money, some of them have planes, some of them don't have planes, some of them have, you know, people on the ground for the rat line, getting people through the safe houses to the point of location for pickup and everything like that. But they're, they're, they've are they're they all been with it and they're all without sleep for the last three weeks. And they're doing the job because the U.S. government is not doing the job that they said that they were going to do.
1: Right. Well, But coming back to the church, I I think that that's part of the problem. The church is supposed to be upstream of the culture and politics downstream of the culture. And the church has gotten to the point where it's downstream of politics. It's not playing the right role in the culture that it needs to play. And that's one of the things I think somewhere there needs to be some discussion, serious discussions about recapturing the pulpits for truth, recapturing the Mm -hmm. pulpits for righteousness, recapturing the pulpits for what reality really is and that that i think has to come from guys who, like i said who've raised their hand and know what it means to take the risk to defend the constitution
2: interesting hmm.
0: i think it's a great idea actually because i think most of the people that i've dealt with in my life as a journalist uh many times it's the military and intel guys who actually have more of a rea- reality check on what's really going on in the world than people who are policy wonks or people who are at think tanks
1: well, and remember this whole idea in, in spiritual warfare of deception. Uh, the platforms of deception are controlled by the left, the media particularly, mm-hmm. and the but the pulpits. Uh, that's a place we could we could capture that a lot more easily than we can CNN or MSNBC.
0: Well, one of one of my criticisms of uh, and having, you know, been, having, <laughs> having been associated with you know, four networks here in the States, uh, I've always been a field mouse. And I think that when I have come back to the States and then I see some of the people that are behind the desk, the anchored desks, whether it's in New York or Washington or Atlanta, a lot of these people have never gotten from behind the desk. They've never gone out and seen it. A lot of them haven't traveled the world. They haven't seen a war zone firsthand. And I think that it is—it's just like last year when we all moved to teleworking. I didn't have a problem adjusting to it. I just felt like I was in a war zone. But you know, some people had a problem just working from their own homes because they wanted that camaraderie. But at the same time, the news gets skewed if you don't have if you don't have your eyes on the ground. Peter Jennings was was dynamite when I was a um, you know a young you know, journalists coming up and I started off at ABC News, but Peter was on the ground. I mean, he was not just an anchor later on. He was somebody that would go and take, go to the fight, cover the story, cover as many sides as he possibly could and get into the culture. But if you don't understand the culture, you can't do the story.
1: Well, not only that, but then even if you're on the ground, you still have an editor back in D.C. or New York that decides at the end of the day what that article, that story is going to say or not say. So it, it's, I think the place that we should have a focus, and, and which I haven't seen it so far, is the pulpits of this country where men can get up and tell the truth and remind people. And I think this is one of the things that the founding fathers understood much better than we do is that there's a day of reckoning. There's a day of accounting. They, they had a certain fear of God that motivated them and, and helped guide them through these decisions. Our democracy, as it was set up by those guys, clearly a genius born out of the reality that they lived through, through the religious persecution and the emperor, uh, emperors and kingdoms and stuff that had caused so much suffering for people. And they designed something that was intended to avoid that, but it was designed based on people having a moral value system and an education. Right. Right and you can't have a democracy this won't work with uneducated immoral people
2: very well said
0: that's true and and it's and god knows what's going to happen to um afghanistan now for the people for the christians that want to get out for
1: if if they don't get out i can assure you that the christians will be killed because that's part of sharia law Mm -hmm. women i mean it's just incomprehensible what's going to happen to women over there children same thing they will they will do everything they possibly can to purge anything western or american out of that culture and i have a i have a good friend who lived in afghanistan from 2006 to 2012 teaching leadership principles to women helping them set up schools educating women to ha- specifically for women so they could learn to read and write the basics of education and th- so there's several years where women over there have had access to education and the Taliban will do everything they can to erase that.
0: And they have come a long way from where they were when I was first in there in 2000, before 9-11. It, they've come a long, long way. Yeah. Um, and some of those some of those young women today who are maybe 20 years of age, they have no idea what it was like beforehand, but their grandmothers or their mothers will explain to them how dangerous it was.
1: Yeah, and, and that, but they'll be purged. Mm-hmm. Their names will be on different, you know, if lists or whatever at the school attendance lists or stuff like that. And they'll get those and they'll purge it.
0: Let me ask you, John, when um, there's pictures out on the internet, and I don't know whether they're true or not true, uh, but uh, piles of money that were left behind. Have you ever heard anything like that in, in any of the wars in your generation?
1: Well, the only familiar I had was, was back in Vietnam. I know the CIA was moving through a lot of those areas of Vietnam and they did have suitcases full of money, but I never saw it. Well, that, that,
2: that's a, that's a standard thing. I mean, all the right.
1: soft but guys. Did they leave it have,
0: behind?
2: Um, I
1: don't know of any of our guys that left it behind. I never heard of that, but uh, this, this Afghan thing, Christine is, I mean, it's, it's almost beyond comprehension how badly this thing has been handled.
2: The only thing I can say, John, is that maybe it's a silver lining that, exactly what you said that you can't get any worse than this so maybe people will wake up and and we'll have a great awakening after this and people will will get involved in politics and i think it's already happening to a certain extent
1: well again i, I think the two groups that should get involved in politics one are our veterans because they understand it they've lost colleagues i mean mm-hmm. they have a grip on reality when it comes to what it means to support and defend the constitution that the average guy in the street just doesn't have.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: second group that I think needs to have a strong focus are people who came to this country to flee yep. socialism, the mm-hmm. Vietnamese, the Koreans. There are a whole uh, there's the, a community of like two hundred thousand Russians in the Philadelphia mm-hmm. area. These are the groups that ought to be mobilized to run for Congress and and bring to the Congress the the people's house a reality about where this political system is headed.
2: That's a good point. We're actually doing that in New York, and uh, I'm I'm having trouble making sure they're real because they're telling me all this, you know, we want to get involved, and I just want to make sure they're not plants coming from from the other side because, you know, they say, well, I came from Ukraine. I experienced the Soviet Union as a child. You know, I used to stand in line and didn't know what we were standing in line to get just because we knew something was there that day. You know, so right. this is... Um, so yeah, there's, those people are there. It's just finding out if they're real or not.
1: Well, the, the Koreans and the Vietnamese. Um, I personally think a lot of the Hispanics that came out of Cuba and mm-hmm. and, and, and and Central America would be there. Are many folks in there, very intelligent, very smart, mm-hmm. very capable. That would make great congressmen, great mm-hmm. women, and and they understand it. They have an understanding of what, what socialism and communism is all about. And those are the people we ought to be trying to get into office.
0: And yet we do have some people who are coming from other countries who get into Congress who, who want to push socialism.
1: Well, that, that's where you, you run somebody against them. That's clearly from a personal experience that can talk to that way, mm-hmm. you know, can, can counter that because they've had the experience that gives them that knowledge.
0: Right, I remember in the last couple of months I've been down in Atlanta. I think twice, and uh, in Atlanta there's there's a whole Chinese community, and they drive around in their caravans and convoys and, and cars, and you know basically they're they're anti CCP, and they they want people to know, and they're honking and they're, they're they have their signs up against the CCP in China.
1: Well, I, I'd rather see those people knocking on doors and and representing and and appealing on behalf of somebody running for the. Running for the house, that that's energy better spent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, when you speak of China, it's always bewildered me why we have why our foreign policy has not worked over the years to make China our best friend rather than our biggest nightmare. I I I've not I've not really ever understood that because we've had so many Chinese come to this country and go to our colleges and go to our schools and they know that they have the ability to give the right kind of leadership if it's given an opportunity. And we've just never cultivated that over there. And I'm sort of hoping that the church, which is a vibrant church inside China, that maybe the church could lead the kind of revolution that needs to be led over there just through prayer and through evangelism and through those kind of things, they could change that government.
2: I think they're trying.
1: That's a, the Lord is good at providing surprises. And I, I think if the communist party suddenly went away because the Christian community over there got mobilized, that would be a pretty big surprise on the world stage. Karma. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, but the, the 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 CCP has a way of showing its strength, you know, um, that sometimes the people aren't allowed to stand up because you, you'll see them one day, but you won't see them the next.
1: Well, the, under that kind of suffering, historically, the church has grown.
0: That's
1: mm. always been the, the, the uh, characteristic of a growing church is it's perse- it's being persecuted.
2: You know, you drive around the Northeast and you see church after church after church, and they're all empty. They're just husks of what they used to be, you know, Protestant, Catholic, all of it. You know, the only churches that seem to be vibrant are some of the Eastern uh, Orthodox churches, which is interesting to me. Um because maybe they didn't, maybe they schismed off and had more of a hold on the people. I don't know.
1: Well, I just think that the, the spiritual warfare, in, in, in warfare, targeting is one of the critical issues. And you, if you, if you're a pilot, you know this. If you can't identify, acquire, and put your gun sights or bomb sights on the right target, you don't have much hope of, of winning the battle. And in this spiritual warfare, the church has been a strategic target from day one. And that's one of the things that when it fails to realize that it's in a war, it's called to be part of a war, uh, that failure winds up causing it to be an ally of the devil. The only way to deal with this is is engagement and proactive engagement, initiating engagement uh, Mm -hmm. against evil and the the church is to lead that. that, the 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 uh, great awakenings that I've read about, in every one of those, a core issue of that awakening was powerful. I think the quote was powerful preaching from the pulpit, and we don't have that.
0: Did you think, True. John, in your lifetime, that you would ever see this country shut down churches?
1: No. It never ever crossed my mind.
0: And in, in your um, faithful crowd that's, that you're a part of, were they as shocked?
1: Pretty much everybody that I know and engage with has been not only shocked but disappointed, but struggling over this COVID mask thing of how to you know, stop the spread of the disease. Uh, that, this is where not knowing who to believe becomes kind of critical because I honestly don't know who to believe about the statistics that come out of this COVID thing. I have a friend that tracks statistics and he told me the other day that he's checked the CDC and the state of Virginia and out of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people in the state of Virginia that are 19 years or younger that through the whole COVID experience, only 15 had died. That's 0.0000 something percent of the population, and yet we shut the country down for this kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't, I, I just honestly, truly don't know who to believe. Mm-hmm. And my my irritation with the system is, you can go down to CBS or Rite Aid and get a kit that can tell you in fifteen minutes whether or not you have COVID that kind of technology, that kind of research, that kind of creativity in, in that area of the problem, why hasn't that been applied to treatment? You know, well,
0: well, there's a whole conversation about whether or not the early treatment that was applied in early 2020 was actually what should have been applied at the time. The I mean, they were telling people to stay home until you're your lips turn blue and then show up at the hospital. And they were gonna, at that point, ventilators were the only option, so they thought. But if you had gone in early for early treatment, you might've been able to get some other treatment that wouldn't put you on a ventilator, like blood thinners, for instance. But
1: just the fact that all of this research and money has gone into now having the capability to identify whether or not you have COVID within 15 minutes in your home. Right. That's a significant achievement Technologically, or you know, experientially, or whatever you want to call it, but why can't those the same level of resources be applied to treating people who have COVID? Whether it's some pill or some you know some solution or some salve or whatever, that's where I feel we've really failed in in terms of battling this this disease. Is if you get it, there's a treatment for it, and well,
0: they say they, but then they've also canceled. And they've also censored those treatments and basically and outlawed them in, in some instances. I mean, we just got a story in. this is in the last hour that, in fact, um, the Afghan refugees are going to be given ivermectin. OK, well, if they're if Afghan refugees are, are going to be given iver, ivermectin, why aren't they making that available to, in, in the United States to people? Why aren't they recommending that?
1: that's part of the issue that I don't think we're getting enough conversation on. The treatment, this treatment should be out there by now, given the resources that have been put into the problem. Because
2: they want to sell vaccines.
0: They want to, they want everybody to get vaxxed. That's,
1: that's, that's the money issue.
2: Which you talk about evil. I mean, that's doesn't get any more evil than that.
0: That's profit before people.
1: Well, and that's where a good, powerful preacher from the pulpit could alert those folks that when the day comes that they end up to stand before Jesus and give an account, that's not going to be a happy discussion.
0: John, on that note, that's, that, that, that's, that, that is, that's a strong ending right there. Um, just want to say thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, if you hear things come back to us because we're going to do a whole series on, um, What these strong men, whether they're Marines, Green Berets, Rangers, you know, or special forces uh, are doing to try to save the people in Afghanistan and get them out of there.
1: I think anything we can do is overdue.
0: Thanks for joining us.
1: Okay, you bet. Thank you.